Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Comerica Park in Detroit. Game one, more doubleheader action. Game one, it's the Tigers four, the Guardians one. Game two, it's the Tigers five, the Guardians three. The Tigers end up sweeping the doubleheader to kick off the series against the Guardians. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And once again, full transparency, I was bouncing around more. I was at four 4th of July parties this weekend. It was it was exhausting, but it was fun. And uh, I try to keep in touch with these games as much as possible, but man, things get busy on these holiday weekends. And uh, frankly, going back over the highlights and going back over the box scores and the summaries and things like that, I miss some some pretty sloppy games and some pretty weak offense from your Cleveland Guardians. I mean, in this first game, they managed two hits. Two hits. That's it. One a solo home run. The only run scored on a solo home run. That's it in that first game. That is pretty rough stuff. And then in that second game, they do muster one nice rally in the fourth inning, but only on six hits. And the Last four in this lineup, just there's just no punch offensively, especially once Clement pinch hits for uh, Palacios and then immediately hits into a double play. You've got Owen Miller, Clement, Sandy Leone, and Oscar Mercado back in the nine hole in center field. Are you come on? That's just that's just once Clement goes in there, that's just nothing. Nothing. Owen Miller has fallen off a cliff. Yes, he does have an RBI single in that fourth inning. Yes, he does drive in the third run of the game. But other than that, two strikeouts on the day. Just nothing offensively since like April. Just Owen Miller has completely fallen off offensively. So, I mean, you got one through five with a chance in this game. But, you know, six through nine, ah, just brutal in this lineup. And Oscar Mercado coming back, morning people, none of us needed to see Oscar Mercado ever again. We were perfectly happy letting him ride off into the sunset and try to have a career somewhere else. They felt like they needed a right-handed hitting outfielder once Oscar Gonzalez went down. I would assume as soon as Oscar Gonzalez is healthy again, Mercado is out of here and Gonzalez is back in the lineup. But until then... They felt like they needed a right-handed hitting outfielder to battle some of these lefties. Does it do any good? No. I mean, he's actually on base twice, so I, I can't hammer him too hard on this day. He does have a hit and a walk, so he's on base twice. Uh, but it's just it's not what we want to see. There's so much talent. There's so much talent at the AAA level, at the AA level. We're waiting for that talent to come up. It's going to struggle. I mean, Gabriel Arias, who gets sent back down to AAA. My God, Arias gets sent back down to make room for Pilkington in that second game. Uh, He didn't do anything offensively. Uh, He didn't bring much. But, uh, man, who was he even moved for? Yeah, I guess Pilkington, and they had to make room for Oscar Mercado. So, Johan Ramirez got uh, DFA'd. You know, Arias doesn't provide much offensively, but at least there's the promise of something. At least the guy's working towards something. I I just don't... 
I don't see that with Ernie Clement. Like, I just don't see the offensive production there. It's it's not there. 186 hitter with a 456 OPS. Mercado is a 205 hitter with a 612 OPS. It's just, there's no offensive production there. So I, I don't know why. I know he wants a right-handed hitting outfielder. I know. I get it. Palacios is a lefty. Uh, Quan's a lefty. I get it. Right? But, I mean, there is one righty down there. There's one right-handed bat down there in AAA, Alex Call. He's 27 years old. He's been in the system for a long time. Uh, he was a third-round pick of the Chicago White Sox. We actually got him in a trade uh, way back in 2018 for first baseman Yonder Alonso. He was the player thrown in there for Yonder Alonso back in December of 2018. By the way, I'm sure you can hear the rain is just pounding Northeast Ohio right now. So uh, we got a fun little bit of background noise to our podcast this morning. So Alex Call is a right-handed hitter down there at AAA that's actually been having an all right season. He's got an 876 OPS right now. Uh, he's hit 10 homers for Columbus. Uh, I don't know much about him, but he's a right-handed hitter that might provide more production than Oscar Mercado. I would rather see a young guy at this point get a chance than Oscar Mercado. I just, I'd rather see all lefties in there against left-handed starters than Oscar Mercado. Now, Nolan Jones might get his chance. He's been playing a ton of outfield, but he might get his chance at first base because Owen, uh, Josh Naylor goes, ooh, it looks like a back injury, a lower back injury. I didn't, couldn't really find, you know, is he going to be out? Is he not? How's he feeling? I couldn't really find that after the game. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, he goes on an IL stint. Does that create a roster move here? Do we finally get to see Nolan Jones come up and uh, get a chance at first base? What's weird is he stayed in the game and drew a walk. He injured himself. Naylor injures himself on a check swing. He does like a little dance after the check swing where he spins around and he pulls a muscle in his back doing that. Not hitting the home run earlier in the game, the solo home run. No, he hurts his back doing that. It's not even dancing out of the way of a pitch. It was just this, this like check swing move that he does. And he actually stays in and draws the walk and then comes out. I mean, if a pitch had been in the strike zone, what was he going to do? It didn't look like he could actually swing the bat. So uh, Naylor will see what the update is on him. And does this create the opportunity to finally get Nolan Jones up here? We'll need someone to play first base. Uh, it's that or Bobby Bradley comes back from AAA. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. Yeah, but that's why Mercado's here. A right-handed bat. That's It's just because of what hand he swings the bat with. So, I mean, the storylines of these actual games. I mean, the top storyline of this game is Jonathan Scope just going off against us, hitting in the eighth hole in game one. Uh, hitting in the eighth hole in both games, he goes six for eight over the double header. Uh, in that first game, he's four for four with two runs scored, four singles, three hard hit balls. On the second game, he's two for four. He does line out sharply to Andres Jimenez at second base, but he hits a double. He's responsible for another run scored and an RBI in this one. He drives someone in. So, yeah, Jonathan Scope going off against us is kind of the storyline of this game. 
And it's not like he has incredible numbers against the Cleveland franchise throughout his history. Remember, he played for Baltimore for a long time. He had a stint with Minnesota. Now he's been with Detroit for a few years. So he's played as a lot. He's got 242 plate appearances against the Cleveland franchise over his career. It's only a 263 hitter. He's only got a 677 OPS. His TOPS, on, on baseball references, TOPS is a player's OPS relative to their total career OPS. So relative to his own personal, where I'm guessing his personal would then be set to 100. Uh, so less than 100 means he did worse than his usual splits, and he's an 86 TOPS plus against the Cleveland Guardians, which means, yeah, he's about 14% worse than his career average against Cleveland. Now, some teams he just absolutely hammers. Uh like the Angels, he's got a 143 TOPS plus. Uh, even the Chicago White Sox in division, he's got a 113 TOPS plus. So there are teams that he can beat up on. He hasn't faced them that many times, but the Miami Marlins, he's got a 192 TOPS plus. Uh, the San Diego Padres, a 203 TOPS plus. So scope, there are some teams that he pounds. We're not a team that he typically lights up. I guess he's been all right against us. But he doesn't absolutely light the Cleveland Guardians up until this series, apparently. Uh, so, yeah. So, scope going off against us, that uh, definitely had an impact on this game. It's so weird for a guy in the eight hole to, uh, to you know, to go off like this. And uh, I just want to go over to the illustrator here and see, were we just setting things on a tee for him? No, we were going outside on him a lot. Uh, four-seam fastball from Plesek that he goes out on the outside edge and gets. A four-seam fastball from Karinczyk that he goes way outside in the eighth inning and gets for a single. Uh, another one from Plesek in the fourth inning that's on the outside edge that he goes and gets. And then uh, Henches try to get him with an inside fastball, and he singles that in the seventh. So mostly the righties try to stay away on him, and he's able to shoot some singles in this game. So no, we were not teeing things up for Jonathan Scope in that first game when he goes 4 for 4 uh, The other storyline, I can't believe this. The other storyline in game one is another Tiger storyline. It's the rookie pitcher, Garrett Hill, going six innings against us, giving up only two hits, the one earned run on the solo home run, only one walks. We weren't even doing a good job getting on base. He only gets three strikeouts, but that's not really his thing. His thing is inducing contact, getting ground balls, inducing weak contact. We do hard hit him eight times on the day, but he uh, he just managed to you know have the bat bib gods were in his favor, and our offense was just nothing in game one. Now Garrett Hill is he some top prospect for the Detroit Tigers? No, he's their twenty third ranked prospect in their system according to MLB.com. He's got a fifty grade on his fastball, a forty five grade on his slider. A 55 grade on his splitter, which we didn't uh, see unless it's considered a split change. StatCast didn't seem to record any splitters for him. Uh, StatCast, and let's flip back over to the pitchers here. StatCast recorded uh, for Garrett Hill. Sinker, a two-seam sinker, a four-seam fastball, a changeup, a cutter, a curve. So I wonder if that changeup is that split finger. Uh, pitch if it's a split change or something like that because usually it does stack will recognize a split finger fastball it just was not 
either he didn't throw it and he's changed to the cutter or something like that, or uh, or it's something else masked uh, that they were calling that splitter and now they're calling it something else. Uh, but yeah, a lot of called strikes on the day. It's not huge eye-popping CSW numbers. It's only a 14% whiff rate for Garrett Hill. Uh, but yeah, the two-seam sinker only had an 82.3 mile per hour ex- average exit velocity, 82.3. Uh, the ball we put in play the most was the four-seam fastball. We put that in play seven times, but we only had an average exit velocity of 86.3 off of it. So yeah, we weren't really hammering this guy hard, and we just made Garrett Hill look fantastic. Uh, like I said, there's two hits on that day for the Guardians offense. Naylor has the solo home run. It's interesting because he does strike Naylor out in his first at-bat. To lead off the second inning, uh, he ends up getting him on three pitches, uh, a four-seam fastball on the outside edge for a called strike, drops a curveball down inside on his knees that he swings through, and then throws him a fastball up in a way that he just flails at. So he flails at a curveball down and then flails at a uh, sinker up and away. I wonder what the tunneling of that pitch was that made Naylor go out and chase that pitch way off the plate. Uh, it was an ugly swing. Uh, is that where he hurt himself? On that ugly swing. The next time up, Garrett Hill would not be... Okay, this makes no sense. So he just blows him away, uses that curveball effectively, that sinker effectively. Now, in his next at-bat, he throws him all change-ups. Throws him a change-up up and in for a called strike. Throws him a change-up away for a ball comes back in the same location and just hangs a changeup up and in, and he smokes at 101.9 miles per hour for his 11th home run on the season. 376 out to right field. Why? Why would you call for those pitches? You you totally dominated a guy with fastball-curveball combo in his first at-bat. Why three changeups in a row? That makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. Uh, yeah, and then he pays for it with the home run. Unfortunately, that would be the other offensive moment for the Guardians is Straw gets himself on base. Uh, what was that? What inning was this in? Uh, in the third inning, it starts with an Arias walk. Straw would hit into a force out. He would then steal second base with two outs. Quan singles. Straw gets thrown out at the plate, initially caught safe, overturned on review, because he doesn't slide. Now, would it have changed the outcome of the game? No, but he doesn't slide. He thinks because the throw is looks like it's kind of up the third base line, you know, pulls the catcher off the plate a little bit. He thinks he can just tap his right foot in there and just scoop past the catcher. Instead, the catcher lunges at him and slaps him on the thigh before he can touch the plate. If he slides, he's probably safe because the tag comes up pretty high. So, yeah, so that was the literally the only other offensive moment was in that third inning. From the fourth inning on, nothing. One, two, three in the fifth. One, two, three in the sixth. One, two, three in the seventh because of a walk and a ground into a double play. One, two, three in the eighth, and they do get some walks in the ninth inning. They make it a little bit interesting. But Owen Miller grounds out very, very weakly to end the game after two guys had walked to get on base. So just nothing offensively from your Guardians. Plesak pitched started in that game. He didn't pitch terribly. He goes six innings, gives up six hits, two earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts on 93 pitches. 
he's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times uh, on the day. So they were knocking him around the park a little more. But he limits the damage. Uh, in fact, he gives up those two runs in the first inning. And then he settles down and gives you five more shutout innings. Keeps it a game. Both of these were games that the Guardians very easily could have won if they just could have got their butts going offensively. Uh, and then, you know, another storyline in this game for me is the Tigers' bullpen was perfect on the day. The Tigers' bullpen does not give up a run on the day. They go three shutout innings. Uh, Chafin, Fulmer, and Soto go three shutout innings in game one. In game two, after Fiedo comes out in the fourth inning, they said it was his hip. Tyler Alexander and uh, Alex Lang and uh, Joe Jimenez end up giving you a combined five and a third innings of shutout baseball. Alex Lang strikes out the side in the eighth inning of that second game. Meanwhile, the Guardians' bullpen was giving up runs like crazy. Henches gives up a run. James Karinchak comes in after him. He gives up a run. Actually, it's interesting because all these runs are credited back to the last pitcher. They're all inherited runners. So Henches' run that he gives up was an inherited runner that Karinchak actually gave up the hit for. The run that Karinchak gives up is actually an inherited runner that Alex Young gives up the hit for. And then in game two, they keep giving up runs. Trevor Steffen gives up a run. I believe that was an inherited runner that Brian Shaw then. And then Brian Shaw gives up a solo home run to Eric Haas. De Los Santos finally comes in and doesn't give up a run. But at that point, the game was out of hand, 5-3, to three, and the offense was showing no signs of life. So, yeah, their bullpen beat our bullpen on the day. By far, that's a storyline in this game. Their bullpen was fantastic over both games, and ours just kept finding ways to get into trouble and giving up runs no matter who came in. Um, yeah, like I said, our offense was pretty weak on the day. I'm bouncing in between the story storylines of the game and the other research I did, but you got to hear about our offense over the last seven games. One of the worst offenses in baseball OPS. We are 29th in baseball over the last seven games with a 572 OPS. The only one worse is the LA angels. When it comes to just good old school batting average, your Cleveland Guardians are second to last, 29th in all of baseball, behind ahead of those Los Angeles Angels with a 179 batting average. By the way, if you think it can't get worse, the Angels are hitting 143. Somehow in runs scored, we're actually in the middle of the pack. We're 16th with 26 runs scored. I'm guessing it's because we've hit a few home runs over that time stretch. We do have seven home runs, but it's just it's just bad. It's just bad. We somehow lead. We still lead in walks. Uh, we're the number one team in walks over the last seven days. So that also has been helping uh, a little bit with that run production. Uh, but we're also near the top in strikeouts. And we're still, you know, across Major League Baseball, we're still the lowest team when it comes to strikeouts offensively, which is mind-boggling. I mean, such a change of approach for Valleca. But over the last seven games, we are fourth in baseball in strikeouts. With 69. So things have not been going well offensively. The last one I wanted to look at was Bat-Bit. Batting average balls in play. Again, us and the Los Angeles Angels are the bottom two teams in the league when it comes to batting average balls in play. Uh, 210 batting average. So, I mean, we're not even getting lucky out there. That's how bad it's been for the Guardians offense. In game two, we do put together a good rally in the fourth inning. It's a good Guardians rally in game two. 
um, where, you know, we get some hits, we get some luck, we get some things through in this fourth inning. Uh, it starts with an Ahmed Rosario walk. Walk the leadoff hitter. You're probably going to end up paying for it. Jose Ramirez then singles uh, into center field. He gets one through. Formil Reyes delivers the big hit in this inning with an RBI double off the left field wall. And then Andres Jimenez would hit a sack fly to right. It would bring in Jose Ramirez. He gets the job done. And then Owen Miller would shoot a ground ball through the left side. He does have a little bit of bat bip luck. He shoots one through the left side and brings Formil Reyes in to score. Uh, that would be... Actually, that wouldn't be where the rally ends. Palacios would then pop out. Sandy Leone would draw a walk. That's the one thing Leone has done since he's come here. He has not hit at all. But the guy has drawn walks. Uh, then Oscar Mercado would draw a walk to load the bases. And uh, that's when they uh, that's when they turn to the bullpen when Fajardo would come out of the game. And Stephen Kwan would line out to center field to end the threat. So we had a chance there. Kwan goes 0 for 4 in that second game. We had a chance, and we just couldn't add to that inning. But three runs in an inning is still a good inning. We just couldn't replicate that in any other innings in this game. I mean, nobody has a multi-hit game uh, for the Cleveland Guardians on the day. Nobody, in fact, it doesn't even look like anybody was on base twice. Oscar Mercado was the only guy who was on base twice in that second game. Uh, meanwhile, the bottom of their order continues to go off. Eric Haas continues the, uh, the trend of former Cleveland franchise players that were barely with the team going, having a good moment against us, going off against us. He gets the solo home run. He actually scores two runs. He scores on a walk too. So he, uh, Eric Haas scores twice against us. Uh, yeah, they, the bottom of their lineup got most of the hits in this second game. Castro with two hits, Scope with two hits, continuing his hot day. Uh, yeah, the bottom five, six, seven, eight in their lineup are who score the runs for them in this second game. Now, there was some bad defense, too, from the Guardians in this one. There was some bad defense. There were some moments where they just beat us. Um, you know, they uh, uh, in the third inning, they score on a fielder's choice where Andres Jimenez tries to go home, but Jonathan Scope beats him. There were a couple errors in this game. Uh, there were things called an error, and then there were things weren't. Um, uh, I know that uh, Owen Miller made some rough plays at first base in this game. Uh, Pilkington is the only one actually credited with an error in this second game. But I know there were some moments here of some shaky defense that ended up leading to runs. Um, there was one that shot past Ahmed Rosario. Do one of our other shortstops make that play in the fourth inning? Scope one of his hits, gets past Ahmed Rosario. It'd be interesting, does you know an Andres Jimenez or, or Gabriel Arias make that play? Because it looked like Ahmed Rosario was there. He just couldn't snag it. Uh, Victor Reyes then grounds into a force out. It's an awkward play where Ahmed Rosario tags second base. He's going to turn the double play. He can't really make the double play. It was a kind of a slow hit ball. And a run comes in to score. So that was a little bit of shaky defense. Uh, it was a chopper. We get burned twice by choppers. You know, things chop right in front of the plate. A big high hop. A big slow hop. Uh, you know, Ahmed Rosario does his best to turn the double play here. But he just can't. There's not enough speed on the ball. And then Riley Green ends up getting a single in the sixth inning. He gets a chopper. 
this time to Andres Jimenez, who is playing back, hoping to, you know, make the final out of the inning. This is with two outs. It's a chopper with runners on the corner. And uh, Spencer Torkelson is able to come in to score. And Riley Green, the young rookie center fielder for the Tigers, the number, you know, one of the top prospects in baseball, the number five draft pick a few years ago, uh, gets an RBI here by just beating this out with speed. And again, it's a chopper. There's nothing. This isn't bad defense. There's nothing Andres Jimenez could do on this one. Uh, it's just a chopper in a no man's land on the infield, and everybody's safe. And then uh, Eric Haas gets his homer off of Brian Shaw. Frankly, Brian Shaw just hung him a pitch, just hung him a breaking ball, and he drives it out to left field for a home run. Um, so, yeah, so that was how the scoring was done. They kind of did to us what we've done to other teams, a little bit of bat bip, a little bit some infield hits, you know, running the bases well. Uh, they actually slid when they went into home plate. So that's how the Tigers got it done against us in game two. And uh, like I said, we have that one inning and then just nothing offensively from this team. So I think uh, Pilkington does all right. He labors through four innings. He gives up three runs, but only one of them is earned. He only gives up four hits. He's only hard hit four times over those four innings. It just felt like he was laboring. He got into that. Uh, he gives up runs in the third and the fourth inning. Um, yeah, it was just a tough day for Pilkington. He just kind of labored through those four innings, through a lot of pitches. You know, 79 pitches to get through four innings is a lot of pitches. So he doesn't last very long. And then the bullpen just can't. They just keep giving up runs. The bullpen just could not. Their bullpen shut us down. Our bullpen had nothing on the day. It's frustrating. It's a really frustrating Holiday doubleheader. We should not be getting swept in doubleheaders by the Detroit Tigers. There's still two games to come back and even this series up at least, but it does move us down in the American League Central standings. Uh, the uh, the Twins were able to beat the White Sox, so we don't have to worry about the White Sox chasing us, but the Twins do extend that lead. They're now at a three-and-a-half game lead over the Guardians. Um, it feels like every time we leave Minnesota, right? Every time we play Minnesota, we get a little closer. Every time we leave Minnesota, a series against them, we end up further away then. Uh, we end up heading the opposite direction. We're only two games over 500 now. So that's another thing creeping up on us. You know, I I don't want to fall back behind low 500. I doubt these guys do either. They said their energy was fine playing five games in three days. It's a lot of baseball. They finally do have an off day coming up on uh, on Thursday, so they will get a day off. We'll see what kind of reinforcements end up coming from uh, AAA if uh, you know Naylor needs to do an IL stint. I, things in the back like that, in the lower back, don't just go away overnight. That's going to take a little bit of uh, physical therapy there to get that back feeling better. And, you know, it's a very important part of swinging the bat is your back, is your back muscles. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Naylor there. Obviously, the guy has been, in his words, smoking the ball. Uh, he wants the smoke. Uh, he's been having a decent season, up to 11 home runs. We talked about could he be a 20, 25 home run candidate by the end of the season. Well, yeah, you got to stay healthy to do that. So it would hurt losing his bat. But it would possibly create opportunity for some of these young guys in AAA. We've been waiting for some of these guys offensively in AAA to see what they look like. I would love to see what Nolan Jones looks like up here for the rest of the season. 
He's been a top prospect in the system for so long. You just want to know what you have. It's the hardest jump going from AAA to the major. So be patient with him. Just like be patient with Arias. But there's some real talent there. And we got to see it in the major league level. Because I'm just getting nothing from the bottom of my lineup right now. Just absolutely nothing. And when guys at the top of the lineup are slumping, it just looks terrible across the board. So that's all my thoughts on this one. I mean, and there's probably so much that we're not even getting into. It was just such a frustrating doubleheader. There was there was really nothing to sink your teeth into. There was nothing to enjoy in both of these games uh, when the Guardians' offense is this bad. So that's all my thoughts. Uh, MVP on the day? Uh, oof. I mean, between these two games, I guess Plesak had the best day you know, between these two games, uh, he did pitch decent six innings, only giving up two runs. He kept us in that first game. It wasn't the prettiest game from Zach Plesak. Uh, no eye-popping CSW numbers or anything like that. The slider was his best pitch. He had a 38% whiff rate on the slider, six whiffs on 16 swings. Add in a few called strikes, it's a 33% CSW on that slider. Uh, he actually was dropping the curveball in a couple of times for called strikes. Uh, he was kind of mixing up his called strikes. The fastball wasn't really great. It only had a 22% CSW. It's a 27% CSW total on the day for Plesak. The average exit velocity off him was 92.6. Off his fastball, the average exit velocity was 97.4. So they were definitely ready for his fastball. They put six of those in play. Uh, some of his other pitches, the curveball kind of saved him. They couldn't do much with the curveball, but he only threw it 10 times. So... Uh, that was what was going on with Plesak. I guess MVP on the day will go with Zach Plesak. Uh, but there's not much positive here. There's just not much to sink your teeth into between these two games. So let's see if we can run it back. Let's see who gets DFA'd. Is Alex Young the next guy to get DFA'd to make room for somebody else? Uh, because they're just churning. They're churning through that 40-man roster. I can't believe they brought Mercado back to the Major League team. All right, that's all my thoughts. The final again from Detroit. Game one, it's the Tigers four, the Guardians one. In game two, it's the Tigers five, the Guardians three. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Ferris. Now that the holidays are over, back to your regular programming. I'll probably be able to watch these games in a lot more detail uh, over the next week. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Ferris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Uh, you can let me know how your 4th of July was, or you can let me know how you felt about these games. I, I heard a lot of angry people on Guardians Twitter. So hit me up at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash ClevelandBaseballMornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.